Welcome to the Thriving on Purpose podcast, where we teach Christian entrepreneurs how to build a strong foundation of faith, growth, and skill to lead and thrive on purpose in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, certified coaches, Elizabeth and Sebastian Richard. Thanks for joining us on the Thriving on Purpose podcast. Thank you for taking time in your busy week schedule. We know Christian entrepreneurs are very busy. We have a really good topic this week for you guys. It's called Christian Broke and Loving It. Okay, now this is a, a, there's a lot of controversy around the prosperity gospel around um, you know Christians making money and this is why we wanted to tackle this topic because there's a lot of information being thrown out on the internet and a lot of people have not really studied the matter and haven't don't know the truth about this okay mm-hmm. so the reason why we're doing this is because there's a lot of Christian entrepreneurs out there who are broke there's a lot of Christians out there who are broke and think it's godly to be broke. So that's why we wrote and they love it. And you have, you know, Christian entrepreneurs that are, are seeking for more. They know that it's not normal for them to be broke. They keep on trying and trying to get out of debt and they just can't seem to get out of debt. It's like this bad season just won't end in their life. So we want to help you to learn more about this topic so that you can have breakthrough, okay? So learning to discern the spirit of poverty is absolutely crucial into opening a door um, to have God's blessings in your life, okay? So there's a lot that you don't know about this topic. Uh, A lot of people uh, tend to throw everybody that believes in the prosperity gospel under the bus. There's a lot of things out there that I won't deny i won't say that you know they look godly because there's a lot of things that are ungodly and this is why we're doing this topic because we really want you to see what god wants for you yeah okay? we want to shed some light on the so-called prosperity gospel from a biblical perspective and also help believers discern what part of it is okay and what part of it is excessive or wrong thinking but mostly we really want to help believers discern that spirit of poverty that has kind of infiltrated the church for for a long time. Um, so basically, the, those who are the most aggressive in condemning the prosperity gospel are often the teachers of those who basically endorse the spirit of poverty. So what we want to do today is bring a balanced approach to money, to how we perceive money, to how we understand money in the body of Christ, to how we understand money as Christian entrepreneurs, kingdom entrepreneurs, to give a wholesome view of wealth and prosperity for kingdom entrepreneurs. That's what we want to do today. Exactly. We want you guys to really understand God's plan for your life when it comes to wealth. And we want to remove that guilt that a lot of you Christian entrepreneurs have about wealth and about money. And the reason you have these 
this negative thinking concerning that is because oftentimes there's a religious spirit that's affecting the way you think. Yeah. And um, sometimes it's false thinking that has been, you know, kind of brainwashed in us through, uh, through the church. And uh, sometimes it's just faulty thinking for many, many reasons. But the problem with that is that uh, because of that, you don't see God's bigger plan because you're too stuck staring at the wall in front of you of, you know, money's bad, money's bad, money's bad, and feeling guilty for even wanting money to get out of your your you know the the lack that you're experiencing exactly. right so, now some people some people equate wanting more money with the love of money exactly and that is a big problem okay the love of money is one thing and it is condemned in the scriptures the love of money but wanting more money depending on which station you're in life might be a very wholesome thing if you're broke wanting more money is a very normal and just thing if you have a business and your business is not making it wanting more money should be your aim it should be something you want okay yes, so because you, this is having very important debt, you have to understand that living off of the government's money and living off of debt is completely ungodly and god does not want us to be uh, owing basically anyone anyone exactly, exactly. So a lot of you think it's wrong to want money, yet a lot of you have like insane credit card debt and you think that's normal. So this is why we're doing this topic so that you can really decipher and understand you know, how, what God intended for you and the, big, the bigger plan that you're not seeing right now. So as we, as we delve in this subject, what we're going to do is we're going to try to analyze, to, to understand where this thinking came from, where did this spirit of poverty creep its way into the church. And sadly enough, it crept its way through corrupt thinking. In other words, a, an interpretation of scripture that was corrupt and that made people believe, made believers and Christians believe that being broke is more godly than being rich. And that we addressed all the way back in episode number eight, which we titled The Love of Money and the Pride of Poverty. For those of you guys who want to go back and listen to that episode, we, we tackled a part of that subject. But today we want to, we want to address the spirit of poverty, how it came to manifest itself in the philosophy of the church and how many believers embraced it. And many believers, especially Christian entrepreneurs who are trying to make it, why they struggle so much. And the reason for most of them is because they have an unwholesome view of success, prosperity, and money. And until you fix that, in your head, you're always going to stay broke. Exactly. And, it, you know, a lot of you are taught, work on your mindset, work on your mindset. Um, you know, these uh, convincing mantras that you're able to do it. And, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Most of you Christian entrepreneurs, you listen to motivational videos and, and this kind of content. And I'm not saying that they're bad. I'm just saying that if you don't understand... If you have the correct what, view of prosperity... You will never make it out. Uh, like you will never motivate yourself to, to that level where you think you should be. Because if your view of money uh, is wrong and you think that money is something evil, 
you're just going to stay in the dumps for the simple reason that as soon as you start having a little success, you're going to feel guilty. Exactly. So we're going to get rid of this religious stinking thinking about, you know, we're going to get rid of this religious uh, spirit of poverty by understanding more about it so that you're able to detect it and go, oh, okay, now I'm not thinking the way I should be thinking. Exactly. So that you're able to cut it out of its tracks and think back on the right track. So let's dig in. Let's dig in. Let's dig deeper to climb higher because <laughs> that's exactly what we're about, right? We're going to dig deeper so that you guys can climb higher. All right. There's three Bible passages that I identified as... Um, the source material for the teaching uh, that spreads the spirit of poverty in the church. And these Bible passages are misinterpretations that brought preachers and teachers to teach that it is like that the, basically that being broke is more godly, that you're more like Jesus that uh, if you become rich, it's a snare and a trap for you to become ungodly, and all these things that are attached to it. And you're going to see as we delve into these passages, you're going to understand how we came to think that. So the first one is the story found in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And I think that story, um, even for me, because it's funny, when I when I study or teach these things, I remember how I used to think before I was an entrepreneur. And even when I was a young entrepreneur, just starting out, how I was still struggling with that religious think, stinking thinking, like Elizabeth said earlier. And I, I, I had to work through it and basically uh, shed this spirit of poverty. And I'm still struggling with it at times, okay? And it comes from these Bible passages that are, and not the Bible passages themselves, but the way they are taught in churches. So the rich man and Lazarus is probably one of the best examples of this. I'm going to read it for you guys. All right. So Luke 16, 19 to 31, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. So notice He's living in luxury. And I think the word here implies uh, excessiveness. He's living in excess. Okay, He's not just you know, living comfortably, living uh, in, a, in, a, in wealth, but he's living in luxury, stuff that you don't really need. Then it says, At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Now picture this, that beggar named Lazarus is daily at this rich man's gate, okay? It says he's laid there, so I don't know if he's lame, it doesn't mention, but if he's laid there, well, maybe he can't walk. We don't know, we can only assume what's wrong with Lazarus, why, why is he a beggar? Is he blind? Is he ill? Is he uh, lame? Can he walk maybe? Uh, is he mentally retarded? We don't know. We can only assume that for some reason that we don't know, that is not told in the passage, Lazarus is not able to, like Deuteronomy chapter 8 says, to ha he doesn't have the power to create wealth. 
Okay, so very important to, to what I'm gonna as I comment through this passage, you're gonna see there's there's some things that we need to discern as we read the passage. Okay, so he's there every day longing to eat what falls from the rich man's table. Another thing that I find interesting before I go on, Lazarus is called Lazarus. The rich man is called the rich man. We don't know his name. And a lot of commentators have, have expounded on this passage, trying to figure out if when Jesus told this story, if he was talking about an actual person who really lived, if Lazarus really existed, and if that rich man really existed. And as we go through the passage, uh, my, my personal viewpoint is that, yes, he's actually talking about real people. And the reason for that is that later, as we'll see in the story, Abraham appears. And I don't think Jesus would use the name of Abraham in a fictional account. Another thing that makes me think that this is an actual account, real people, is that I don't think, in the sa- on the same token, that Jesus would have mentioned the name of the rich man if that rich man is in hell. It's just out of respect, in a way, to not, you know, like, for those who might know him or whatever, to hear, like, oh, so-and-so is in hell, really? You know, like, I think there's a... God is not in the business of shaming people. Right. Okay, so I, that's just my personal take on it. So I do think that this Lazarus dude is, is at the end of the story, we'll see he's in heaven and everything, but uh, I think it's real people. Okay, so it says, even the dogs came and licked his sores. So we see that Lazarus is sickly. He's got sores. But how sick is he? We, we don't know. We, we know he has sores. We know he's laid there, so he's, he's lying down. So he's not the he's not healthy. So he's probably not able to work. Okay, the time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So we see that the, the Lazarus dies, goes to heaven to be with, with Abraham. And the rich man, he's in Hades. He's in torment. He's what we, we would call hell, okay, in the modern rendition of our understanding of Hades. Uh, so it's very interesting to see that this Lazarus obviously had faith, okay? He had faith, and we know that the Bible says that our faith will be counted to us as righteousness, so he went to be with Abraham in heaven. Now, the rich man didn't have faith. And it's really obvious from the context. Just think, I was talking with Elizabeth earlier today about this passage. I thought it was very interesting. Imagine a man sitting at your gates. No, no, not, maybe not that many of you have gates. Hey, if you have a gate, you know, wonderful. That's awesome. I wish I had a gate. I have a driveway. But I told Liz, I said, you know, if I had a beggar, sitting daily or lying daily at the end of my driveway. You know, the gate is where you come in and out. In and out, in and out. You do your daily things. So so obviously the rich man knew of Lazarus' existence. He would have seen him. He would have crossed his path. And yet, he didn't even give him the crumbs that fell off his table. So you'd have to be a really sad individual to not have the heart to even give a loaf of bread mm. to a beggar that was at your gate daily, okay? 
So I think it shows... Or in this case, he probably had servants that could have easily... Easily went, yeah. Given the poor man a bath and some food and something, <laughs> So, so right? I think it really shows the heart of that rich man, right? Mm. there, Right then and there, we kind of see... A, it makes you put in perspective. Yeah, that's true. I never thought of that. If I had a guy sitting at my gate, which had sores and the dogs would, would lick it, and he's in big misery, the least you could do is at least give him a loaf of bread. That's the very least, right? So we see what kind of character we're dealing with. It's not just a rich man. And, I, and that's the thing that we've been taught in church, the rich man. Associating wealth or being rich with he's wicked. Mm. No, uh, that's not how I see it. I see it as he was a wicked rich man. So the parable could have be, been called, the, 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 like I was joking with Liz, the rich jerk. <laughs> because that guy's a jerk, really. But, but the, the evil rich man or the wicked rich man. So it would have put us even more in context. So anyway, let's get back to the text. So he sees Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he calls up to him, to Abraham. He says, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Now again, very, very interesting. I want to stop here again. It says that the rich man received good things, and it says that Lazarus received bad things. Jesus said that in this life, we will have tribulation. And we saw an episode, I think it was episode 34, that God is good. And we use the cliche often, like all the time. God is good all the time. And it's true. He is good all the time. So when we receive bad things, it's because we live in this broken system. And in this broken system, some might receive good things. For example, if you're born from rich and wealthy parents, automatically, without any effort on your part, you will receive good things. So that might have been the case for the rich man. We don't know. It's just conjecture here. But Lazarus received bad things. The book of Ecclesiastes says that the race is not always for the one who's quickest or fastest. And it's not always to the strongest who, who gets the best. But time and chance happen to all. That's in Ecclesiastes. Time and chance happen to all. And for some, that chance you know some people say there's no such thing as luck well i beg to differ because the book of ecclesiastes tells us that there is such a thing as luck sometimes not all the time but sometimes there yeah there is there is chance there is timing timing and chance will impact our lives either positively or negatively so that's the case here so so abraham is telling the rich man that he says look you got good things in your life so how did he get them i don't know but he received them and Lazarus received bad things. So what did he receive? Well, again, conjecture. But we're thinking that Lazarus had some kind of condition that made him poor. He wasn't able to create wealth like the Bible tells us. And there's so many people like that. I mean, let's be, let's be honest. Let's just, let's just be honest during this podcast. Some are born mentally ill. They're kind of dumb. It's not their fault for his gum types, you know. They can't, they can't create wealth, you know. So 
that's that right away they are at a, a disadvantage in life and some others it's the opposite they're good-looking and they have tremendously rich parents who give them a super education that really helps as well so there's the the extremes of life where people are born either at an advantage or a disadvantage and it says that now he's being comforted he's in abraham's bosom he's in heaven he's finally enjoying the wealth of the father and then abraham says and besides all this between us and you there's a great chasm that has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us in other words between heaven and hell uh, those in heaven can't go to those in hell and vice versa he answered then i beg you father send lazarus to my family for i have five brothers let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment now again very interesting this gives us a clue about this rich man i was mentioning earlier that maybe he was born in wealth well it seems that his five brothers are also wealthy because he doesn't he doesn't mention if they're wealthy he just says i have five brothers but if he wants them to be warned it's maybe because they're living like he did you know kind of like rich jerks maybe right so he's saying please send Lazarus to tell them about this place. I don't want them to go there. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Now, that is a harsh word. And it is the word of God. It is a story told by Jesus. It shows us the importance of Scripture. You know, when you talk to people about Jesus and you tell them about what's written in the Bible, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, in other words, to the Scriptures, if they don't even listen, the Bible says those who don't listen to God's law, their very prayer is an abomination. Their very prayer is an abomination. Well, there's people like that. You want to tell them the good news. You want to talk to them about God's kingdom, Jesus Christ, His sacrifice, what it means for them. They just don't want to listen. That is a tragedy in itself. But I, I'm going out on a tangent here. So I wanted to put that in context here about Lazarus and the rich man. So many of us have heard this story before. And the way we are taught this story, if you're in a church that does not teach kingdom, if you're in a church that has uh, <laughs> a spirit of poverty, they are going to teach it in such a way that your understanding of this passage is, look at good Lazarus. He was just like me. He was broke. He was poor. And therefore, he was godly. And he went to heaven to be with Abraham. And look at the wicked, vile, rat, rich man. He was wicked because he was rich. And he went to hell. Good for him. I hate rich people. <laughs> okay, I'm, caricatur I'm, I'm, I'm caricaturing this, but you know where I'm going? Does this resonate with you? I mean, I know I'm touching on something here because I know for many of us, that's the way we used to understand the passage. Looking at good old, full of 
virtue Lazarus because he was poor. Not because he believed God. Because he was poor. We associate his, his, his going to heaven because he was poor. And we associate the rich man going to hell because he was rich. Right, Liz? Therefore, he must be evil. Evil in hell with the demons. So, the problem with that thinking, and it's stinking thinking, the problem with that thinking means that Solomon has to be in hell, David has to be in hell, Abraham has to be in hell, Jacob has to be in hell, Joseph has to be in hell, and Job has to be in hell because they were all rich, wicked men. You see how crazy that is? It just makes no sense at all, right? <laughs> what do you think of that, Liz? What do you think of what did we just discussed? Yeah, well, see, um, I've been part of a, a few Facebook groups where we, um, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of Christians talking about different topics uh, when it comes to finances. And, and I realize that there's a big guilt. Um, Christians seem to, to think that there's a big guilt because they're taught that if they're wealthy, that's because they want they want to to have riches they want to be wealthy and that it's wrong to want these things and you know the love of money being greedy is one thing needing money or wanting money because you want to do something for god because god's put on your heart a certain mission a certain project that he wants to set forth is very different so it's really important that you understand that money is is really a bartering system. It's really a neutral thing, and it's what we need in this world to function. You need money to buy food. You need money for clothing. You need money to pay your mortgage. And if you're going to do any great thing for God, any project you're going to do, you're going to need money. Yeah, and, and to paraphrase Al Capone, right? Remember Al Capone said, you can go a lot farther with a kind word and a gun than with a kind word alone. Well, for Christians, for Christian <laughs> entrepreneurs, we can paraphrase this. <laughs> you can go a lot farther with godliness and money than with godliness alone. Exactly. So, <laughs> that's Sebastian's spin on. <laughs> I do that sometimes. I have strange spins sometimes. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you guys, you have to remember that money is not dirty it's neutral you do need it as a christian entrepreneur and um i'm going to get into some verses here that you're going to understand a little more because a lot of the verses that we read when we talk about kingdom and and blessings and riches we always think oh well that's when we die and we go to heaven exactly that's what we're taught in churches but when you understand kingdom and you understand there's a lot of those verses that are pertaining, are talking about right here blessings that God's giving you here on earth. Um, and, you know, it's not like the kind of thing that you pray and boom, you're going to get a, a check in, in the mail. It's not that kind of it's thing. It's not magic mailbox thinking. Exactly. You know, there's a process, there's faith, there's obedience. There's a lot that goes into this. And there's okay? a big, like, let's just say, there's a big process of faith. In order to, uh, to get that type of blessing... You have to build up your faith, and that can take months and years until you uh, are have the ability to to ask for anything, and it shall be given you. Okay, exactly. It, it's not anybody who can just do that. We we were given this uh, by Jesus. We we're given this by Jesus through the Holy Ghost. 
But that level of faith has to be worked out. We saw that in our first episode on faith, how we have to work it out in order for us to develop the faith that goes with that type of asking. And you know, in the last podcast, we talked about our assignment, right? And um, if you didn't listen to that podcast, go back to it. Uh, at the end of when we talk about kingdom significance, we were talking about uh, you're finding your assignment. Well, your assignment oftentimes is a big thing. Okay, you don't see the full assignment first no. because God shows you that in in pieces as you in increment as you are obedient and as you pray seeking that assignment but the bigger picture is oftentimes the end goal is something really big and then you're going to need lots of money to to make that happen yeah. but god's going to guide you and he's going to help you make it happen as as you go along in this so you know everybody uh, in this verse, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8, 18, it says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. Amen. That He may establish His covenant that He swore to your fathers. Now that passage is a loaded pistol. See, on, the fir- on, on one hand, it says that God has given you the ability to create wealth. It doesn't say God gives you wealth. It says he gives you the ability to what? To create wealth. Isn't that interesting? Men are called to be like God. We are called to be creators. And God has given us the ability to create things. To and create, to, to, to bring forth ideas, yeah. to bring forth uh, businesses, to bring forth, um, uh, how do you call this, Liz, when you invent something and you have the paperwork? The uh, patent. A patent. How many... How many entrepreneurs do you know, have you seen out there that are non-Christian, that have created great things that we know them today for their inventions? Steve Jobs of is one of them. Diapers, uh, you know, machine equipment, all kinds of stuff. So many things. Light bulbs, everything that you look around and you're like, wow, man is really... Creative genius. Creative genius. And all those inventions ended up you know, affecting our centuries after that. And we benefit from those inventions that they created. And those, a lot of those men were very wealthy uh, because of it. So we're talking, this is like, kind of like a law of things of how God, you know, when, when we go back and we explain that God had dominion and all and authority and then God, um, man lost it because of, the, you know, the sin that happened. Yeah, man was given dominion, then man sinned and lost exactly. dominion. Exactly. Well, yeah. those those tools in man that were installed in him to create wealth were still there. Yeah. So you also have that with ungodly men that yeah. are able to that's create part of, wealth. That's part of being a, a human being. Exactly. They have that and they can produce that in an ungodly way, an evil way, or just... Or just because, uh, just because you know, they, they invent stuff for, for the good of mankind. Yeah. So it's your choice as a Christian entrepreneur. To use it for the kingdom. If you want to use it for the kingdom and please God and ask him to show you how you can create that to do his will. Amen. To do something that adds value to people, helps people, and makes him proud and happy. Well, like the verse you, you read says... To, why did God give you the ability to create wealth? Why? There's a reason. The second part says that he may establish his covenant that he swore to your fathers. In other words, God made a promise 
made a covenant with man. So that's why he gives you wealth. He because he gives you the ability to create wealth because he wants you to succeed in bringing that promise to pass. In other right. words, a, a covenant is an alliance that God creates with mankind working together in the earth realm. Okay? And the promises he gave to your to our forefathers that he would establish his people and that it, that they would be wealthy and that they would be a light unto the nations and all that is only going to happen if we use the ability he gave us he gave us to create wealth because money whether you like it or not is going to be instrumental in establishing the covenant of God in the earth. And he knows it. That's why he gave us the ability to create wealth. Because he knows that it ain't going to happen without the use of wealth, i.e. money. Right. So he gives you that to bring it to pass. Like Liz said, your assignment, your specific assignment that he's given you to advance his kingdom, well, it's going to come to pass by you uh, 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 um, exploiting this ability that he gave you to create wealth and using that wealth to advance his kingdom and take back territory from the enemy. Are we, are we clear? I think we're, I think we're clear. Yeah. And the other thing is I want to say, you know, not everybody, I don't believe everybody is called to be a kingdom entrepreneur. Okay. There are people out there that, we need to be nurses, to be doctors, Amen. to be on the mission field, uh, to be evangelists. There are all kinds of different assignments that God may ask the person, okay? So, for example, if you're called to uh, be a pastor in the mission field and you you have at heart a certain people and God told you go there and, you know, build wells and... Uh, teach them the gospel and make a difference, you still need money. Absolutely. But the problem is that oftentimes these people, unfortunately, because they're kind of on the battlefield, they can't raise money or yeah. they have to come back and kind of beg for money. So this is where the power of the kingdom entrepreneur comes in. That's where you come in, my okay? friends. Yes. Because you can bless these organizations and give give to them because their assignment is different be, from yours. Be partners with them. Exactly. And partnering with them. And it's a beautiful thing, right? Then you accomplish a lot more for, for God in this way. Now, I want to read to you a few verses. In Third uh, John, sec, uh, the second chapter, it says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Okay. And a lot, of people, a lot of Christians, they read this verse and they're like, oh, all I need is to have health and my soul to prosper. Yeah. The rest, they completely forgot and scratched it out of their Bibles. Yeah, we kind of we kind of tossed that aside. But John, who wrote this, understood perfectly the kingdom of God. He had been at the feet of Jesus for three years. And then Jesus, when he rose, he was with the disciples for 40 days teaching them about what? The Bible says teaching them about the kingdom of God. So John understood exactly what it means to be a human being in the earth realm, in the hands of God. In other words, uh, that this existence of ours is a, a mighty tool in God's hands. So that's why John says this. Notice how John says, 
I wish you, uh, that uh, you would prosper in all things and be in health. Why? You can't do much if you're sick. Right. And you can't do much if you're not prosperous. And he says, now, I want you to, be, to, to, to have health and prosperity on one condition, that your soul prospers. In other words, if you are a godly person who has a heart for the kingdom, who is seeking the kingdom in all things, the kingdom first in all things, if that's who you are, if that's your soul's position, well, then, yeah, be in health. May you be in health and may you prosper in all things. So that what? So that God may establish his covenant upon the earth, that he may use you as a powerful tool. Yeah, and the other, the other false representation is that Jesus was poor, uh, the, the painted pictures that he's a poor beggar going around with his 12 disciples, uh, you know, basically knocking on doors. Who's going to feed me? That's not how it happened. Well, not, when, and, and don't get us wrong. We're not saying Jesus was a, a rich king, wealthy and, and all that. We're just saying he wasn't as poor and broke as we've seen in the movies. Like uh, exactly. almost an itinerant. It, <laughs> well, like almost like a beggar. A poor beggar, you know, like because uh, just think about a few things. In the, in the Gospels, it says that they, uh, the disciples with Jesus, had a treasury. Interesting. Of course, they needed to look after the needs of all the, the men following Jesus, including the disciples. Don't forget, Jesus had the 12, but he also had the 70, or 72, depending on the passages. So these people needed to eat when they were following him. That's, that's a lot of people to feed. That's a lot of mouths to feed. So obviously there was... so, And there were wealthy women following Jesus too. There were some women there who were widows, who were wealthy widows, who believed in Jesus, who provided for the ministry needs. Another thing that we keep forgetting, that's very, very important, is the Magi. When they came to visit Jesus, they brought a lot of wealth to Jesus' parents at the time, but they brought it for who? For the king. So you think his parents just took that and lived the Vida Loca and went on a cruise? No. They probably kept it aside for when Jesus would be older. So we can assume that the gold, frankincense, and myrrh might have been used at least in some extent by the king of kings when he, was, when he reached the age of ministry to move forward to go from town to town and travel and, and you know to, to have his his uh, needs met to some degree which is an interesting uh, thing that we don't often hear in churches how much gold was there you know and gold is <laughs> we know how, how much gold is worth right and these magi were extremely wealthy they were the kings of the east they were extremely wealthy it was, so they, they probably didn't bring like a, a gold chain or a little gold charm it must have been quite a quantity Exactly. And we know about uh, Jesus doing miracles as well with the, the story of the, the fish and the bread, um, the multiplication of fish and bread. So that was possible because he was God to do those things as well. But also another interesting thing uh, mentioned during that miracle, initially when Jesus says, go ahead and feed them, and the disciples like, huh? How do you want us to do that? It would take, and then they give a number mm -hmm. uh, of the wages of a man, how much it would but they didn't say they didn't have it. I think they were just in shock because they thought that Jesus initially meant go in the treasury, grab the, the money, then go to the marketplace use and, and yep. use it to feed these people. Uh, so, so they were saying, that's a huge amount, Jesus. Are you sure you want us to do that? Mm -hmm. See? That, very interesting. Uh, another thing that's interesting that we, we don't always think about is 
I don't think the Roman soldiers would have gambled over the the, the tunic, cloak. the cloak of Jesus, if it wasn't of some value. I mean, if it was a rag that was full of blood, what would have been the point, really? Like, seriously, dudes, don't you have anything better to do? Right. Okay, so I think, again, uh, before he was flogged, he was probably wearing something of some value. I'm not saying he was we wearing kingly attire, but I'm also saying that he wasn't—he probably wasn't wearing some rags, okay? So, so there are some misconceptions here about the status, the, the social status of Jesus. First of all, I think his parents, uh, it, sa it says in the beginning, when Jesus started teaching, they were in shock because they were like, isn't this the carpenter's son? Notice they didn't say, isn't his dad a, a carpenter? No, they said the carpenter's son. Mm -hmm. So that means that Joseph was the carpenter in Nazareth. He was the go-to guy for carpentry. And we're talking about a town. So he must have been at least well off. Do, doing, he had his own business. He was running his own business. So he must have been a man of some respect in the community. And he must have been what we call today upper middle class. Okay? I'm not saying he was a rich king. I'm just saying the guy was, you know, he was rolling his, 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 his thing, his business, and it was probably not going too bad. So Jesus took over the business as the eldest son. Don't forget that later on. So again, he must not have, he must not have been living off scraps. So that's, it gives us a different perspective when we understand that Jesus, in order to blend in, what's the best way to blend in in a society? It's to be an average guy, right? Not poor, not rich, but maybe that what I just described. Middle right. to upper middle class. And I think our misconception of Jesus as a poor beggar uh, has to cease at some point. We have to see this guy, okay, he was humble. He was born in a manger, yes. But he was given gold. So, oh, there, there's a balance there to be made. Okay. Because he well, is God. Yeah, exactly. He was still God. So, uh, and, and he was, he took over his father's business. His father was the carpenter. The, not a. So keep all these things in mind, all these factors that we forget that make us lose sight of just financially. Where did Jesus situate himself? Where was he? You know? Uh, and another instance is when the, the, the lady, the woman, came and, and, uh, and she broke the perfume at the feet of Jesus, the very expensive perfume. Yeah. I think it was evaluated at $800. Anyway, I forget. Some, some guy had translated the value of it in today's money. It was either $800 or $8,000, but don't quote me on that. Anyway, it was worth a lot. And then Judas, what did he say? He said, what a waste. We could have used that and sold it and given the money to the poor. He wanted to appear godly, which, make, which makes us think that maybe, and, and we know that Judas stole from the treasury, that's another thing, but, uh, and, and, and there's, a, this, <laughs> there's this guy we're listening to these days, that he, he mentioned another thing about that, but just to stay, stay in, the, in line with the perfume here, when I, the point I'm trying to make is this, if Judas said this, maybe it was common practice for them to give to the poor from their treasury, as they went along from town to town to town, you know? I'm just, and this is just conjecture, you know, I, I don't, don't quote me on that, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to see here the big picture of how this all, this whole thing operated. And another thing that, that a guy made a point this week that we're, a guy we're listening to, he said this, he said, now, 
if Jesus was broke, do you think, knowing everything that he knew, he would have appointed a thief to be the keeper of the treasury? Because don't forget, he appointed Judas to be the keeper of the treasury, and Judas stole and took money from the treasury for himself. So he was a thief stealing from the treasury. So obviously, I think, and the guy made a point, I don't know if I endorse it completely, but I think there's some interesting thoughts here. Maybe Jesus knew the heart of Judas and he wanted Judas to change his heart. In other words, to see that he didn't need to steal, that he was with the Son of God walking every day, and that should have been reassuring for him, for his provision. He didn't need this. So maybe that's why, that's your conjecture again, maybe that's why Jesus put him as uh, the appointed guy to keep the treasury so that he would have a change of heart in the hope that he would have a change of heart. But I wouldn't, if I were Jesus and I knew the heart, uh, I, I would, personally, I would not have put a guy who's a thief in charge of Yeah, finances. but see, he, that's the thing here. But he's this, Jesus. This is a thing that I liked when he mentioned that because... Because Jesus does not have a scarcity mindset. Not at all. He knows that his funds are unlimited. Exactly. So he doesn't care how much he steals from him because he knows it's going to just keep on flowing. God exactly. has abundance. He's and he wanted Judas to see that too, probably. We can only, again, assume that maybe that's what it was. Uh, There's no. no passage anywhere in the Bible that says Jesus was scared of lacking money or food or whatnot. No, remember that passage where he told Peter, says, Oh, we need to pay taxes? Just grab your line and first fish you catch, open its mouth and uh, use what's in there to pay the taxes. There you go. I mean, like that that's the low stress mentality. I mean, I, I, I wish you would tell me where to go fish. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, go fish. I wish Jesus would tell me, go fish. So I'm going to read you another verse here. Second Corinthians uh, chapter 9, 6 to 8. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things... In all, things, in all things, may have an abundance an for abundance, every good work. An abundance for every good work. I love how this passage finishes. So, you know, oftentimes when we hear sermons on tithing and giving to the church, uh, they're going to take this passage to encourage us to give joyfully, right? To give cheerfully, not grudgingly or, or, or out of peer pressure. Because God loves a cheerful giver. They're going to use that part. But what about the last part? Yeah, they don't mention the last part. The last part, for me, is such a huge encouragement. Why? Because God... Why should you give? Because God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you, always having all sufficiency in some things... No, it says in all things. May have an abundance for every. Good work. So that comes back again to Deuteronomy, so that God may establish his covenant upon the earth. He has a, a, a mission for you, he has an assignment for you, and he knows that this is going to require some funds, depending what 
you know, everybody has a different assignment. Some will require, require 50,000, others 150,000, and others 50 million. But depending on each's assignment, God is able, if you give, if you sow abundantly, in other words, if you're a generous heart for his kingdom, he's about to take that, spin it around, and make, give you all that you need for your assignment. You're not going to lack any good thing for that assignment that he's got for you. So that's against, again. Uh, and there's many different ways of sowing, okay? There's, um, you know, giving to mission, missions. There's giving to the poor. There's, you know, feeding people that, you know, that are homeless, that don't have money. There's all kinds of organizations out there. But if God has given you a certain project that he wants you to put forth, you can sow also part of your income for that project Amen. back into your business I'm as well. I'm so glad that you're telling our listeners this because a lot of Christian entrepreneurs really feel like I'm supposed to give, I'm supposed to give. They're looking outside of themselves all over the place where to give. And you know what? In most cases, God will want you to sow into your own business or ministry or assignment first. Because guess what? Your business or assignment or ministry is a, a, a good work. It is a good work. And it is something that, that deserves to be sowed into. And, and sowing is something I believe that should be spirit-led. You know, Amen. we've sold into different ministries. We've sold in our own business. We've sold in different ministries that God showed us. You know, you should sow in this ministry and give a certain amount. And, you know, when he's talking about don't give grudgingly is that, you know, when you're giving into the kingdom, it has to be with a pure heart, with a, a joyful heart. So that's why it needs if to God's, be spirit-led when it's spirit-led you if you god's are showing you a certain amount and you're going to give it grudgingly then you're kind of ruining the whole process yeah you you have to you know believe that the the other thing is that there you need to be a conduit right you have to be a conduit and we're going to talk about that later on in this podcast but when you sow you're giving, you know that you're going to receive an, an abundance. It's like a, a wheel that turns. Yes. So you're not, God is using you. He's giving, he's blessing you with money, but you're giving also back. So it's like a, a wheel that turns. So you're not holding it on sparingly and saying, you know, like some some people. We've said, we've said this many times in Some this people just want to, um, you know, take all the money for themselves and just sow all of it in their business and go like, God, why aren't you blessing my business? And they're not giving to any other organization that maybe God has been telling them to give or to somebody they know in the family that's starving or, you know, can't pay her bills because her husband died or whatnot. You know what I mean? Like you have to be open and listen to God's spirit talking to you as well. Yeah. You know, if you want him to bless you, you have to bless others as well, even if you don't have very much. Think of the, the widow, you know, that only had a penny that gave away all she had. The widow's might, yeah. You know, you have to kind of have that mentality that not to give it all away, but to, to you know, give when God asks you to give and not wait till you're making, like people think it's going to be okay to give when they make 500000 a year. No, it's you have to give some now, you know, yeah, show exactly. God. You know how to steward and use the money that you have now. Exactly. It doesn't start when you have 500000 a year. It starts when you have 50000 a year. 
or 25,000 a year? How much are you giving now? What kind of a heart do you have when it comes to giving now? And, and the other mentality also that some Christians have is the other extreme. Uh, they're, they're not insecure, uh, but th- what, th- what they feel like is like, well, I have to give it all away. Give it all away. Give it all away. What they base this on the story of the rich young ruler where Jesus, and, and that's another story, and I talk about that story in episode number eight, the love of money and the pride of, the pride of poverty. But that's another story that, that people use that, that messes up their thinking towards money in which Jesus says it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And they take the story of the rich young ruler and, uh, you know, they, they, they go like, see, he, he, he didn't want to give it all away to the poor. I won't be like him. I'm going to give it all away to the poor. Again, that was just for that guy. Jesus spoke to that guy. He didn't say every rich man should do that because if that were the case, that's what Abraham would have done, Solomon would have done, right. David would have done. That's what they would have done. So it, that was for that guy. And the problem in Christianity, I'm going to address this a little bit, as, and especially when it comes pertaining to kingdom faith, we often make the mistake of taking someone else's assignment or someone else's uh, uh, story of success and say, well, if it happened to so-and-so, it's going to happen to me too. For example, if someone uh, sowed something in faith and got a great harvest, uh, uh, let's say he sowed uh, some money in a ministry and got a great harvest that blessed him abundantly, and you're like, well, I want what he got. He got 100000 out of that. So since that's what he did, he, he gave 25 bucks to so-and-so, I'm going to give 25 bucks and I'm going to expect 100000 It doesn't work like that. See, the person who got that harvest, that was... His level of faith, that's where he was at, at this time in his life, for a specific situation pertaining to him only. So you can't use that for yourself. God's going to give you a word for you. And see, the rich young ruler, that was a word for him. And there's something that we forget about that story in the rich young ruler. And it's, it's really well emphasized in the, in the chapter 10 of Mark, the book of Mark. It says that, when that rich young man came to see Jesus and he spoke to him and Jesus said, well, you want to, you want to go to heaven, just follow the commandments. And he said, I've been doing that since youth. And then it said, there's something, this little phrase, one sentence that's so very interesting to me. It says, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Now, if he was a wicked rich man, like we used to think, right? A wicked, wicked rich man. Yeah, we're, they're so disgusting. The filthy rich, I hate them. If he was like that, do you think Jesus would have looked unto him and he would have loved him? I think not. I really think when I reread the story again and again that this rich young ruler was a sincere man. He really had a, a at least in part, he had a heart for obeying God. And he was sincere when he said, I, I want to I, I make sure I go to heaven. But Jesus saw his heart problem. He saw, okay, well, this young man has good intentions. He's got a good, basically a good heart. But there's one thing missing. I see he's overly attached to mammon. He's overly attached to his riches. But I'd like him to follow me. See, we don't see that when we read the story. We just see like, 
Jesus trying to stump the guy, right? Like, are you rich? I'm going to stump you and then you're going to leave all sad. That's, what we, that's how we read it in our corrupt mentality. But we don't read the, the place where Jesus loves them. We forget that. Jesus loved them and he said, once you've sold everything and given it to the poor, come and follow me. Yeah, and when you understand that was, that kingdom, was an invitation yeah. to follow him. In other words, Jesus saw something worthy in that young man. He wanted him to follow him. And you know what? If that young man had understood who was telling him that and what kingdom he was preaching, that young man would have done that so fast. He would have sold everything. And you know what? Maybe we would be talking to about this young man today as the greatest apostle. Who knows? I mean, maybe he would have reaped such a harvest after he would have been obedient in that. Maybe he would have talked about him as the virtuous young rich ruler or something else. He would have been, we would have spoken of him in a completely different breath as we do now. And now we kind of have uh, an aversion to this young rich young ruler when we are ignorant. And when we read the whole context, we're like, well, if Jesus loved him, maybe I should have more respect for the kid. Right. And um, if Jesus invited him to follow him, there must have been some virtue in the kid. And, and you know what? It's a perfect example of, you know, God seeing you for who you are with your sin and still loving you. Amen. And he knew that that was his sin. His riches got the best of him, not because it was wrong for him to have them, no. but because he wasn't willing to depart. He became, they they took over his life. They became because, his security. Exactly. His security was not in God anymore. It was in his riches. And when you learn about, when you learn about the kingdom of God and seeking his righteousness and seeking the kingdom, these are one of the important keys that you learn is to depend on God, Amen. but to um, to be obedient, to have faith, to build your faith. And as you go along the process, he gives you more and it, it, it builds up and it builds up. And so, you know, for some of you, it's going to be, Lord, I need a new kitchen table or I need, uh, you know, something small and building up your faith to to ask for that need that you have uh, yeah. and oftentimes, getting that blessing back. Oftentimes right? when Liz and I coach people in, in faith, we tell them start with socks. Why? Because oftentimes people who, who first of all, when they learn about kingdom, they get excited. Because why? King, the kingdom of God is exciting. It's worth getting excited over. But the problem oftentimes they're going to want too much for what their faith can handle. They want to pay off their mortgage right away. I'm going to pay off my mortgage. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to get so much and so much. Uh, you know what? You might not have that level of faith yet. Start with socks. That's an example, of course, because socks are inexpensive and it's a basic necessity. Start with something small. And when God answers you because your faith was at that level, then maybe you can take your faith a little higher, ask for something else. And see where that leads. So, in other words, it's by increment that it's gonna your faith's gonna grow. Uh, but let's let's get back to the money thing. Uh, you know, oftentimes we, we hear uh, Christians they they're gonna say, well, then okay, if that if if having wealth and having prosperity is all good, how much money is too much money? Very simple question to answer, and very understandable question, but simple to answer. How much money is too much? Whatever amount will make you trust in money and not in God anymore. 
that's too much for you. Right. And that amount varies from person to person. You know, for someone, 50000 a year might be the amount where they'll stop trusting in God. For some other dude, it might be 100000 million. My point is, there are some believers who can be entrusted with more wealth because they will not break off their relationship with God as a result. They will just stay in their assignment. They'll still have their faith in, the, in, in God and not in mammon, and they'll, all will be well with them. And some others have a heart issue, and they are weak when it comes to money and the love of money, and maybe 100000 for them will be a... a, a um, they'll they'll make, make them trip trip up yeah, yeah exactly so how much money is too much well whichever amount and will th- make you not trust back, god anymore yeah and that goes back to the prosperity gospel thing right you know some of some of these ministries i've kind of studied and looked back at you know the sermons they were teaching years and years back a lot of them had good th- theology and then sometimes i think what happens is through the years there's such a big flow of millions and millions of of dollars that it's it's easy to kind of get to a place where either you're not flowing it out enough or you kind of become too greedy to keep too much for yourself, right? So, you know, I mean, there's, we, we, know, we all know, who, you know, the people I'm talking about, you know, there's some people, um, you know, I know there's a lot of people that are criticized for private jets, for different things, different certain cars and whatnot. But, you know, I think you you have to always stop and not judge for one and say, you know what, that person's harvest is that person's harvest. Amen. You know, you don't know what they went through, what how much faith they put into place. And we don't know how much they gave. And how much they've given, how much they've sown. And, you know, some some people, I know stories of people that have, you know, gotten BMWs for free. Okay, yeah. I actually know somebody in my family, but and she is, she's a person that uh, evangelizes a lot. Like she loves going the streets in Florida and, and, and just, just talking to people on the beach. Cold about God. turkey talking, yeah, talking you know? about Jesus to anybody she meets. And so, who says that this is not a blessing that came to her from a non-Christian person in her family that says, "I have." So and so car, and I want to give it to you. Yeah, and I want to give it to you, and that was her blessing. You know, and there's, you know, many different ways that your father can bless you, Yeah. you know, but for her in, in that, it actually, and it, and I say it's a blessing because her car was actually, uh, dying on her and it, the timing was perfect. So, you know, oftentimes God works in those ways and blesses you when, when you need it and you're yeah. obedient and, and loves what you're doing Amen. and, you know, and for other people, you're like, oh, well, how come, you know, I'm stuck and I, I'm broke and I'm this and that. I'm, uh, well, look at your heart as well. You know, yeah. or do you have unfor- unforgiveness? Do you have bitterness? Are you mad at somebody in the church that hurt you or somebody in your family or maybe somebody did something really wrongful to you? You know, if you focus... Are you, are you jealous? Also, that's another thing. Jealousy. When you look at someone's success and wealth, are you jealous? Like, if you're jealous of someone's success and wealth, why should God give you the same success and wealth? Exactly. It's really about looking at yourself, putting your walk with God the only priority, not looking at what other people are doing around you, what they're getting, 
how successful their business is, how successful your business is not. And, you know, stop looking at other, I, I we actually did a, I think it was a blog. Was it a blog we did on that? About the uh, jealousy? Yeah, about yeah. the jealousy. Yeah, thou shalt not covet thy, thy fellow entrepreneur's success. Exactly. I think that's what the title of the blog exactly. was. Exactly. You should go and, and read that. And, you know, it's it, it's hard not to do that. And we did that blog because it's so... It's rampant. It's rampant. Yeah. And it, we, we, we all have been there. We've all kind of started, you know, have done that in the past. We're not all perfect, right? And uh, we're, we have sinful natures. But if you really focus on getting rid of unforgiveness, getting rid of bitterness in your life, making your heart right with God, asking for forgiveness if there's something that you know you did somebody wrong, like clean the slate. And so getting that, rid of that spirit of poverty. Yeah, and praying that off as well, saying, look, God, uh, I want to please you. I, I want your blessings for my life and my business. I want to walk in your will. I want to do the assignment that you have for me. Show me what I need to get rid of in my life that's hindering me. Um, if it's, you know, this spirit of poverty, my way of thinking, break that off and, you know, pray about it. Pray that God shows you because looking at, you know, different people online and saying, oh, this prosperity teacher is teaching that and that's bad and this and that. Mm -hmm. Like you're just focusing on everything that's not godly right now. Like you need to stop looking at what other people are doing. Focus on yourself, your heart with God. And look at this as an, an adventure that you're taking with God and seeing how he's going to make your, bless your business. And you know what I've noticed in all the study, the studying that I've done on uh, a lot of these, um, a lot of godly men that have taught about God's kingdom and faith and healing and all that. I've noticed that they, um, a lot of them have prayed for certain things and have had faith for certain things as they were starting out, but also put their faith into action. So they asked God for a certain thing, but they also put their faith into action, prepared the territory for that thing to be um, to happen. Yeah. Okay? So for, for, for so, example, they dug their ditches. If they prayed for rain, they dug ditches to exactly, receive the rain in. Exactly. Yeah. So they did the work. Uh, they went by faith. They did sort of like, you know, like um, like how Noah was obedient. God told him to go build an and ark. build the ark. And he didn't care if everybody's laughing at him. He just did it, even if people thought he was crazy and he was obedient, right? And so there's a lot of stories if you really um, go and listen to those, uh, those powerful teachers uh, that teach about faith. You'll see that, you know, there's a lot of things that they did that I'm not so sure I would have done. You know, that I, I'm not at that level of faith yet. Mm -hmm. So when you criticize their harvest and you criticize, you know, how God got them out of debt and this and that, you're not seeing everything that they put into place before and how, you know, they were uh, reciting God's promises, you know, th three times a day, rereading verses and brainwashing themselves with God's promises and believing and praying and, you know, like, there's a lot more to it than just saying, ha I'm going to spit on these people because they're driving a BMW or whatever, you know? Yeah, man, yeah. That's so true. you have to look at yourself, your heart. Who are you to judge another another one's servant? In other words, that's in the scriptures, you know? Uh, we're, 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 oftentimes we judge uh, another one serving God. And you know who does that? You know who accuses the brethren? Satan. 
does that. Satan is called in the scriptures the accuser of the brethren. So when we accuse brethren, we are acting more like Satan than like a, a, a Christian or a godly person. So guys, I just noticed it's, it's been an hour and seven minutes. <laughs> so enough about that for now. I want to close, uh, well, close. I want to bring up something that you guys are really going to appreciate. Oftentimes, we, we, have, we each have our own definition of what a kingdom entrepreneur looks like, right? Uh, what a kingdom entrepreneur does and, and what they're like. And I think one of the best kingdom entrepreneurs who ever existed, his name was R.G. Letourneau. R.G. Letourneau uh, was a, um, an inventor. He was a highly successful businessman who was in the earth-moving equipment. So in other words, he, he built a, an empire of uh, bulldozers and all that. So he, he, was, he, he was an entrepreneur who had a built business machinery. that uh, built machinery for moving earth, okay? So for all the construction equipment and all that. And he also had a hand in providing uh, machinery for uh, the war, uh, Second World War as well. Uh, and he was a kingdom entrepreneur's kingdom entrepreneur's. And what I mean by that is he epitomized, I think, a, a, to a very high degree, the ideal of what a kingdom entrepreneur is like. And there's a clip we wanted to share uh, with you guys about R.G. Letourneau. And I think you're really going to appreciate uh, who this man was. And we're going to put in the links also on our um podcast page the links underneath the show notes we're going to put his book there so you guys if you want to get his book it's an amazing book because it talks about his whole uh story of how he became not only an amazing entrepreneur but an extremely generous soul as well uh le tourneau gave 90 percent of his income away to all kinds of kingdom charities okay and he was obviously <laughs> With 10% of what he made, you didn't need to worry about his well-being. Don't Trust me, he, he was very, very successful, okay? So a lot of people think, well, that's, that's way too much. No, it's not too much. Uh, if it's what God is requiring of you, it's never too much, okay? And that's what God was requiring of him. And he became an example to so many entrepreneurs. And so we're going to play you that clip. And you guys are going to really appreciate this guy. Check out this clip. Letourneau University was founded in 1946 by world-renowned inventor and industrialist R.G. Letourneau and his wife Evelyn. Though he had given his life to Christ early on, R.G. Letourneau had also heeded the advice that God needs businessmen as much as pastors and became one of the world's most prolific inventors with almost 300 patents. He became known as a mover of men and mountains. Inventions included the forerunner of the modern earth mover, the electric wheel, the tree crusher, the log picker, the bulldozer, the airplane tow, the air crane, and the first offshore oil platform. He designed and built 70% of the heavy earth moving equipment used in World War II. Evelyn Letourneau, in addition to rearing six children, conducted Bible studies, started Christian youth camps, and counseled, fed, and even housed the young men her husband employed. R.G. and Evelyn had a goal to reach the world, especially young people, with the gospel of Christ. An early camp employee, 
was a very young Billy Graham. One day in 1945, the Laternos were flying over Longview, scouting locations for a new heavy equipment factory. They looked down upon the 156 acres and 232 buildings of the abandoned Harmon Army General Hospital, scheduled for demolition. They agreed that the facilities should not be destroyed, but instead reclaimed as a school to train employees. And in 1946, the Laterno Technical Institute opened its doors with 196 students. Degrees were offered in building trades, electrical maintenance, industrial science, lithography, metallurgy, machine tooling, and welding. The growing Technical Institute was expanded with a School of Arts and Sciences and renamed Laterno College in 1961. Okay, so we're back. So isn't it interesting that a young Billy Graham was working at one of his camps? I was like, wow, that's amazing. Well, that's the impact. That is the impact that we are called to have as kingdom entrepreneurs. He created a university. He created a, a, a school. He created, uh, he, he invested in Bible camps. He, there were many Bible camps that he established so that young people would have a place to go to to hear the gospel message. That's what you can do with money. Without money, you can't do these things. And you know, before his success, um, when he had started as a businessman, um, I liked reading his story of how everything uh, came to be, how, how he started out. And um, he said, it says that he became saved. Um, be, I don't think it was, from what I understand, it wasn't when he was really wealthy. It was before that. He was starting out and his, and he, his he sister, wanted to do, yeah. he wanted to do like a lot of people, uh, when you get saved, you think, okay, well, you know, everything that has to do with business and with money, uh, that's ungodly. And I just want to go in ministry and I want to preach the gospel of so God. So he was going to go in the mission field. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, a, his pastor said to him, you know, people, the church needs. God. He said, God needs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he said, God needs as, uh, as much businessmen and he needs, as he needs uh, pastors and missionaries. Yeah, exactly. And so, in other words, the pastor, which was extremely avant-garde, I mean, in a way that is rare. Back in the day, yeah. Yeah. For him to tell him that, I said, look, young man, I see you have a gift with entrepreneurship, with being in business. Now, if you go in the mission field, you might discard that gift. And I don't think that's what God wants for you. And after he heard that word from his pastor, he said, you know what? I'm going to be all in as a businessman. And, and he says, made the decision. And it says that he made God his CEO, that God was his partner. And that is why he gave so much back because he was like, God is blessing me. God is giving me this ability to create wealth. Yeah. And I'm giving back in this way. So he, he understood that it was... And I'm not, I'm not dissing pastors. I'm not dissing ministers. No way, no. There are people that are called to do that. To each is calling. Exactly. But if you are called to be a kingdom entrepreneur and you feel it in your gut that God wants you to create something and you have a certain assignment, then this is a wonderful example for you to look at because God used him in mighty ways 
with all that wealth that he helped them prosper, he gave back. He was a perfect example of a kingdom entrepreneur that's supposed to be a vessel, a conduit. So God Amen. gives, you give back. God gives, you give back. And well, and, and before we finish with uh, R.G. Letourneau, uh, there's a quote from him that I want to leave you with before I give Liz the mic. And that quote from R.G. really sums it well, uh, sums up well what a kingdom entrepreneur must think like as a steward, okay? And here's what he said. The question is not how much of my money I give to God, but rather how much of God's money I keep for myself. That is an amazing perspective on the money that God is asking you to steward. Of all the money that God is asking you to steward, what kind of, what kind of job are you doing with that? What are you doing with that? And, <laughs> and the first thing you need to fix is how you perceive that money that God is giving you to steward, which was the whole subject of this podcast. Now, I'll give the mic to Liz. She, wants, she has an announcement to make. Yeah, so uh, I just want to end with I, um, I'm part of a group that uh, I've been following with Sebastian. We're learning about kingdom finances. And in this group, um, it's a, a challenge that Pedro Adeo has started. And um, I, uh, I joined that group and I've been listening to a lot of the content. And I think it's really uh, a, a great challenge for you guys to, to, to start in. If you want to learn more about how to steward your finances, uh, you want to learn more about kingdom principles when it comes to money and shifting your mindset when it comes to money, then I think that would be a really great challenge for you guys to participate in. It has begun. Um, it did start the, at the end of last week, but I believe he'll keep up the videos and all that for a, a while longer. So I'm going to post a link on the bottom of this podcast page. So we're at thrivingonpurposepodcast.com, episode 42. So on the bottom, and on the, I did put it on the homepage as well. You can also access the link to be part of that group. I believe he's uh, charging only $18 to be part of this challenge. And this man, this man, Pedro Odeo, is on fire for the kingdom. Exactly. I mean, you're going to love him. I mean, he just, and, and he's not afraid to tackle the difficult issues that, that we have to deal with as kingdom entrepreneurs. I mean, oftentimes we have corrupt thinking like we, we spoke about uh, today. And he, he really helps you to debunk that and to unlock your potential by basically uh, shedding away with what's holding you back. The bad thinking, the, the corrupt thinking and all that. Uh, he does address that quite a bit. The uh, spirit of poverty he talks about that a lot. Exactly. So I think that would be a really, uh, a really good challenge for you guys to participate in so that, you know, because we can't teach you everything in one podcast. We've learned a lot of things that are pertaining to money and finances and the kingdom. And we try to do our best to give you a lot of information every time we do our podcast. We also have our group that I'm going to post. Um, you're going to see it on our, on our website as well, our Facebook group for Top Kingdom Growth where we tackle all kinds of topics that have to do with growing kingdom growth, uh, yeah. your knowledge as a kingdom entrepreneur and a faith and leadership. So you'll want to join our free group to get more teachings on that as well. So, um, so that's all I'm going to tell you for this week. So enjoy your week. Thanks for listening and be sure to go to thrivingonpurposepodcast.com to check out those resources. Be blessed. And thrive on.
Thanks for listening to the Thriving on Purpose podcast. Be sure to visit thrivingonpurpose.com to access the show notes and to discover more fantastic content. Until next time, be blessed and may you thrive on purpose.